So what did you do? It's D. We are back, and it is what did you do? <laughs> we say that every like every like episode, I guess maybe the last five episode. It's like we're back. Well, because we we've, <laughs> we've actually had to come back from something. Right. It's not because we're off. Well, we're not awful. Some of us are awful, but it's me. I'm Charnel. What's the Taylor Swift song? <laughs> it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. No, it's you. But it's fine. It's, it's um, never me. But it really isn't true. to be. No, to be I mean, honest. it, it to rarely be, is. Occasionally, it is. Yeah. Like we were supposed to do this like a night ago, but then I got busy with work. So. Yeah, and then I. So did I, though. I got pulled away to to coach, and you know, so like things keep happening, but. It's been fun to to live life, and I think what makes this podcast fun is that, like, people who have been with us since, God, when did we start this? 20, we should be 200 episodes in, but <laughs> we started this a while ago, and people who continue to listen have done life with us. Like, people have had babies and gotten married and moved and started this new jobs, true. and, like, so it's been fun that we've been able to be honest about how our lives have been lived out and how their lives have been lived out, so I'm not apologizing for it, but... A lot of it is me deciding that I would like another expensive piece of paper, please. Or I would like. <laughs> How many know. degrees does he have now, you guys? We should take a poll. Everyone guess. <laughs> Welcome to life with what did you do? <laughs> yes, so uh, we're back in action. D is still in the house. I'm still not. And... <laughs> You're going to get there someday, friend. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, we'll, I think we'll learn today, however, that money does not solve all problems or fix things and not at all, you know, and which I thought was a pretty smart segue, actually. Look at me. Look at, look at you. Um, you haven't lost it. It's the kids. They keep me young, you know, not that I haven't made any, by the way, these are just the teenagers I work with. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want to up the <laughs> surprise he has guys. a child? What? I mean, I do. I do have a kid, well, you know obviously, like. but like I don't have any new ones that are that have been unannounced before. But my my high schoolers do keep me young. But today we are discussing the the interesting life and experiences and violence of one Jason Bond, which I was mispronouncing as Bone forever until people told me I was wrong. I.e., forty eight hours. Um, but if you're willing, <laughs> you're willing to like, you want to get started? Yeah. So Jason was born on January 29th, 1979 to Maureen Orcana. She was a teenager when she had him and his father was a drug addict. So he didn't have the best of beginnings. Um, Maureen clearly didn't want to be a mother. Like she was not interested in it, but she had two sons. So, and what was Jason was. Chris, I can't remember. Was it Chris? I can't remember. Chris. I, I was. Remember. I'm looking at my notes. Like I was scrolled all the way down at the end, and then came back up. Like okay, yeah, yeah, Chris, Chris. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so at age nine, she gave him and his brother away, um, and he kind of bounced back and forth between his grandmother, who had schizophrenia, and his father, who was abusive. So this is not a good, stable childhood for him at all um so his father would do stuff like give him alcohol so they would fall asleep point guns at him um kick them and was verbally abusive so i mean growing up in that environment he's not gonna have the best example he's gonna have a difficult life but not just his his father's house even when he was bouncing with his grandmother 
like it was said that she had her own mental health struggles of her own. Like you know, she was an older woman, you know, and so it could have been something like dementia, but what was suggested was schizophrenia. She was hearing voices and she was talking to people that weren't there and at times urinating on the floor, you know, like just things that aren't typical, normal, well-adjusted behavior. And so go between that, a woman who is meant to be a, a more maternal and supportive figure and there to kind of carry you along and help raise you into a dad who is definitely supposed to be those things and is choosing actively to to harm or threaten you like he did not have a, a stable childhood by any means which is not absolving this this man of whatever but like no it's very clear that he was this the cards were not in his favor as a young no. no um so that being said at age 14, his stepmom found a note that he wrote uh, titled 101 Ways to Kill My Dad. Naturally, he was kicked out of his dad's trailer at this point. Um, I don't even believe Grandma had a place to live at this And he wasn't living with Grandma at this point. So he reached out to his mom. Um, his mom was remarried at this time. And she was living in Greenwich, Connecticut. If you guys don't know anything about Greenwich, Connecticut, <laughs> it's money, a very... Money, money affluent town like we're talking it is dollar rare. dollar Not bucks affluence doesn't even cover <laughs> greenwich like people like greenwich kicks you out if you don't have like 300 grand in cash in your glove box when you drive through <laughs> i mean like, back when i was in my 20s i was definitely trying to find my rich husband in some greenwich bars okay as was I, like, I, look in my in my early thirties, I'm still trying. I'm I'm wandering through on the highway, like just maybe, you know. I'm looking at little Teslas and the Range Rovers, and I'm like, just hit me, just like clip the car so I have a reason to talk to you. You know, that's what I, that's all I want, and like we I can mean, figure it out. Like you I know, would think, like I would think at this age we would grow, but no, we're still using these no. tactics. Do we need Do we need to get insurance involved? I mean, you could just write. You, I'm sure you could just write a check, right? Like, I feel like we could. <laughs> what are you like? What's your name? Where are you? What are you, where are you coming from? You seem to be in a rush, you know. Mm, stocks. Well, mm, interesting. Investment banker. Sounds exploitative, but listen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's essentially what Maureen did. No stop, because Maureen also look, had her career look, together. Look, I was like, you know what? You, <laughs> you're not wrong. Maureen definitely figured out who she should be right. and one she re she realized she should not be a mom even though there's a better way to do that but two Definitely. she recognized that without having to raise kids she had a lot more time to recenter herself and she figured it out financially on paper for sure mm -hmm. internally i'm i'm not saying where she's going when god calls her home but like my god right. <laughs> like <laughs> right. lady <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, like, she hustled up, too. Like, she became an editor for Scholastic. Like, she was doing her thing. Like, she was doing yeah. her thing. She was living in Greenwich. And he's like, Mom, help. I'm homeless. Because uh, I wrote this, like, thing about how I'm going to kill my dad. And she was like, you can't live here. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <Mom, laughs> Mom's new husband did not want any parts of these two boys. Like, he, he didn't want it either. No. So she's like, you can't come here, but I'll help you and I'll get you an apartment. So he got an apartment. She got an apartment. With his grandmother. For, for the grandmother and the two boys. But uh, grandma ended up dying. <laughs> well, so at first, yeah, yes. But, <laughs> like, still, 
she went to an assistant living home before she did. Right. And even when, like, mom had to have, she had to coordinate this, mind you. Like, this is the, when we talk about parents, we talk a lot of trash about inattentive parents or, like, non-involved parents. Maureen, instead of taking her kid in or divorcing a husband who didn't want to take care of her kid, was like, I hear you. Insert husband's name who I can't remember here. I'm going to get my mentally slipping mother an apartment in Westchester, place my son with her, and then have to facilitate a move to an assistant living facility, but not move my young teenage son into my house afterward. He's still in the house. And this is how he ended up in foster care. Right. Was that they found out that he was living alone without real food or like supervision or care. And mom was, you know, 30 minutes away in Greenwich in a $3 million house. Like, best of luck. (laughs) I'm paying the rent and like stocking your fridge once a month. But like, that is not caring for your kids. Like, it, it like blows my mind. Like, she eventually gets like charged with like neglect and abandonment. And that's how he ended up in foster care. But the fact that she was just so willing to do it. Like, and then later on, when you realize how she comes back into his life, I'm like, come on. Right. But, like, yeah. So, neighbors, like, just saw him going into the, out of this apartment alone, like, with his brother, no no supervision. And they called on Maureen. They called the people on Maureen. And Maureen. <laughs> the people. Like, <laughs> the people. <laughs> Sound like a very, like, older Southern or Caribbean black person. Like, you know, the people that came in, they got him. Like, you know, my they, dad, so, you know, I'm the people. Yeah, look. <laughs> We talked so, about this before. <laughs> so right, so um, they called on Maureen, and Maureen, with the quickness, pled guilty. Why? Because Maureen did not have time to be in court fighting battles about this. She was a career woman, so she pled guilty for neglect and gave up custody to the state. She said, "Have Immediately. my fucking." She, she said, "Have my fucking kids." Is what she said. She found she saw an out and was like, "Boom!" Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. I am unfit. Yeah, like she, yeah. And then she submitted Which is her like, own. Why didn't you? Right. And why didn't you just <laughs> give your kids up for adoption, like from the beginning? At when they were young, because because Jason was saying he had told psychiatrists, he told police that between the ages of like three and eight, three and nine, that she had actively begun to disengage from her family. Like, it wasn't, like, one of those, mom doesn't smile as much anymore. It's just, she stopped participating in life with them. Like, where she, he, I think the word he used was he was just over them or mo- wanted to move on from them as if they were, like, a phase of of, the, of her life. And, like, at that moment, when he's three years old and you've procreated, I think Chris, at that, when he was three, I think, I think he's three years younger than Jason. Like, at that point, then you need to, like, do what you need to do then and not wait until he's formed thoughts feelings bonds a personality expectations and hopes and aspirations and be like you know what no now's the time because she was saying that jason would not listen that he was he would use vulgar language and he was verbally abusive he was bringing weapons to school and asked like yes take him from me not only am i unfit he is an unfit i have no control over him he's incorrigible which is a great word it's one of my favorite ones that that people you like to write in in write-ups and things like that but he's now this kid is then and his brother forced to spend the rest of their lives in group homes, which 
again, as a person who came from foster care, and I don't want to center myself in this, but like a person who came from foster care, my first day at a group home, these kids told me that nobody was coming for me, right? They'd been there for so long that nobody wants kids our age. And they're right, like that nobody wants kids who are older, like tens... Teenagers are the hardest kids to place because people don't want to have to walk through their trauma with them. They don't want to have to help them heal. They want to get the people who don't, the kids who don't really remember what's happening, which they do. They just don't Mm -hmm. realize they do. Mm -hmm. Like, D could tell you working in child services and as a, as an educator, these things stay with children. Yep. Even when they don't have the words for it yet. Yep. And through their behaviors, <laughs> through their behaviors, exactly. through everything. So even when they're young, like you don't understand, like that trauma is there, and they it is will, there, and it mm-hmm. and it'll manifest. It, it, won't it? <laughs> Look, so. we had six fights on Friday <laughs> in my like in my school. Damn. Five the day before, and like what is happening? What is in the air? <laughs> and I'm like, what it's is, not even summertime and, yet. Usually that's summertime behavior. It's not, there's no break coming. Usually right before a break, they're like, let me get this out of my system. You know, <laughs> or like, I got to make sure you know, cause I can't fight you cause when I'm at home because my mama's there, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. But like these kids have so much repressed things going on. So many things that they're the secrets that we talk about that make us sick that they're mm-hmm. carrying with them and they will act out in ways that they're not understanding why what so-and-so said is her so hurtful to them. They're not understanding why when so-and-so didn't want to be their lab partner, it hurt and offended them so badly. Like little things will fester forever. And that is me on my soapbox. I'm getting off of it now. <laughs> we can move on to how things begin to escalate with Jason. And then we can yes. talk about those things. So, you know, things begin to escalate. Like you said, he becomes aggressive, bouncing around from group home to group home. Um, even to one point where he injured a pregnant woman. And, well, yeah, she was 18 and she lost the baby. So <laughs> he's not doing well. Um, they, around this time, he's hanging around with, I guess, kids that are not doing so well. He starts to smoke a lot of marijuana, which, I mean... Sure. I guess marijuana is bad. <laughs> no, it, it, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was gonna say, well, you know. But yeah. the other thing to mention too is that after he attacked that, that young lady, like he did say to his psychiatrist that he had blacked out and he had no memory of what happened. Mm-hmm. Which mm. could or could or could not be true because yeah. kids kids will pick up language that they know will absolve them of things. Right. When they're in when um, they're actively institutionalized. And you're gonna see him use that again and I'm very undecided mm-hmm. about how he's same. like if it's the same like if it's real. Not just that, but after all these things go down where he he causes this woman to miscarry, this is also the time where he gets diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder. And this is something we've talked about in the podcast before. I can't remember which episodes, but it's always come up because of something that they had misdiagnosed me with when I was younger and I had a lot of anger issues. Again, my life was on fire and, you know, melanin, <laughs> like, let's be realistic. It's like angry black kid. Oh no. Like we should medicate him. And, but what it is, if you don't know what intermittent explosive disorder or IED is, is it's when your reaction to some sort of stressor or stimuli is an overreaction. So if I spill juice on you and you punch me in my face repeatedly or throw things through across a room or break windows or if I yell at you in the car and you decide that you're flipping it over because that's a, you know, that is what would be signs of like intermittent explosive disorder. If your reaction to things 
isn't equivalent. Like, right? So his, for him, what they thought was this is that every time something went wrong, his violence wasn't uncommon at a young age. It's, we've spoken about one violent outburst, but there were many right. in the group homes where he was receiving treatment over and over again. And not only that, which I don't think we mentioned before, his mom was kind of washed her hands of everything, was that in that treatment, when all these things were happening, they tried to involve her in it. Like, even though she didn't have custody of him, they still tried to get her involved because she was clearly such a a main point and a focus of his resentment and his rage and his anger. And mom wanted nothing to do with it. She was always too busy. She'd use work as a smokescreen. I, I can't get to these meetings, these visits, these these therapy sessions. And so, like, overall, like, we see this this violent streak in him pick up. And I can only imagine how hurt this kid was when he's like, your mom's not coming. And would he lash out after that? The answer was probably yes. Probably. And they would see that reaction like this is this is not, you know, an equitable, that's not the word, or equal or reasonable reaction to this. And so, like, as we move into the next stage of his life, you'll see a contrast in how it worked out. And then we'll talk about how these little things continue to escalate until we get to the point of this this episode, to be honest. Right. <laughs> so in all this that's happening, he meets a doctor, Dr. John Pisante, um, at the group home. I believe it's a psychiatrist, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and he becomes Jason's mentor. Um, he helps turn his life around completely encourages him to focus on school like he's like your way out of all of this is using your mind like use your brain and you'll get what you need so he gets a ged and we're, we've been we were talking about this before we were he gets a ged and then gets accepted to columbia university now i don't know how that happens right <laughs> not Columbia like, College in South Carolina, not Columbia College of Art in Chicago. I'm a I'm a college and career person, so like yeah. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but Columbia, the Ivy League school in New York City. What and I'm getting people do it. There's a there's an awesome movie called Homeless to Harvard, um, that I grew up watching in high school. Like it was a thing. My I think my history teacher showed us, and so it is possible for people to get you know, high school equivalency diplomas and GEDs and go to an Ivy League school, but it's an incredibly difficult thing. Yeah, but he does it. Ooh, and the other thing was the essay he wrote about what he wanted to be when he grew up at 14. So the essay he wrote was called What I Want to Be. And it was actually, it was actually kind of sweet, but I think it's also one of those things where it's kind of an insight. So this is 1993 and I'm going to read it because it's very short. And so it says, I want to finish high school and move on to attend Pace university school of law. I wish to continue on through law school and pass the bar exam and move on with, and move on to work with a big firm. Hopefully one day I'll be able to start my own practice. I want to be a lawyer Hear this because I like arguing and proving people wrong. It's like one thing, exactly. I think I could be an excellent defense attorney one day and will even, and what is, I can't even read because it's in cursive. Um, it might even sit on the Supreme Court. Mm, could you so, right. I, well, we don't have to imagine we can, we, never mind. 
again, I'm this is not political. <laughs> I was like Neil, Gorsuch. but like there is a there's a very clear like piece there. One, he's got very lofty aspirations, which every kid should. Like I would never tell a kid not to dream high and dream big, but they need to put the work in to do it. But this kid, like my, what stood out to me was like he likes to argue and prove people wrong. Right. Like, and it's not like. I want to be a defense attorney to advocate for those who haven't been. It was like, cause I want to be, I want to center myself in this role and be powerful. And so that was just the, like, as he goes on to get his GED and then go on to Columbia and then go to law school, which he does do. He does. Right. Do. Like, it's not, it's clearly that this kid, this man now is capable and with the proper supports with this doctor can do it. But again, how he gets to Columbia, which is, yeah. it's totally possible. No, as a person who worked as again as a counselor, mm, like completely difficult, and he didn't have any, you know, like he had trouble, like you know, like he was smart, but he had a lot of issues, and I'm sure that was well documented. I don't know how much of the college will get that information, but it's like yeah. they don't really ask for disciplinary records or anything like that. I'm so. <laughs> look when i was when i was applying to unc chapel hill in high school this is 17 20 years ago mm-hmm. um guys just dated my that's awful to say out loud <laughs> telling kids my that high, school, I said it on this my high school reunion is this year it's been 20 years so god yep. but uh <laughs> chapel hill asked for my disciplinary records from elementary school to high school it wasn't yeah, even like a, a yeah, and i was like wait a minute mind your business oh, and you want 70 dollars yeah. from me for an application fee, y'all can keep it. I don't even want to go to Chapel Hill no more. But chances are, I, I wasn't wild. getting it anyway. What'd you say? Elementary school is a little wild. Right. I mean, if you <laughs> if you met me, elementary school, I was afraid of because that was when my life was on fire and I was showing right. my black behind. Right. And I'm like, if you knew what I came from to what I am now, like those are two different kids. But in the, versus what I was when I was a kid to now is completely different, you know. So I was like, right. if you had to look back then, you would never want me around. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you'd be terrified to have me on your campus, but I digress. I'll let you go, D. So, like we said, this guy becomes a corporate attorney, and he ends up working for some, like, major companies like Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan. I mean, he turns his life around. And, you know, it's funny. I was watching him be interviewed, and one of the things he says is his mom, despite, like, everything, was, like, his inspiration Mm. and you kind of could see it in his hustle although it took the doctor to kind of get him there but i mean at 14 he was writing these aspirational goals and then you you see him interview and he's talking about my mom was my inspiration despite her completely neglecting him i guess career-wise but i think even then right remember when he wrote that essay he's like i like to prove people wrong like his mom's like like I'm sure his like his mom was also we didn't really speak on it but his mom disengaging from your child while living in the same house as them isn't just ignoring them it's also belittling them saying things that make it clear that you don't want to love them well so I'm mm-hmm. sure they were saying she was saying hurtful things maybe even saying you know like one of the things that kids always tell me it hurts them is when a mom or a dad will say you're just like insert frustrating parent here Mm-hmm. or you're gonna be I just like your it. mama you're just like your dad and they know what you mean it's not like they're you're not talking about the positive aspects of it mm-hmm. especially if your life is incredibly difficult because of said parent 
you know what you're saying or wishing on them. And so maybe in the back of his mind is like, I need to prove this heifer wrong. Like I need to be like, exactly. And so (laughs) there's something in like, there's something in all of us. I think that we're not all as brave as we could be sometimes, but there is something that pushes us forward that we can't always find and figure out what it is. And I think that he found out that it was a resentment for his mother's feelings towards him. And he's like, that's what I need to be. And that was his goal. And eventually, you know, we can talk about it. Once he got out of law school and became a lawyer, his mom came back into his life. Yeah. Because suddenly he was worth something, right? Like suddenly he, he had like things that were measurable to say he was talented and successful. And suddenly mom pops back up to apologize for everything apologize they go to dinners like they're, they're hanging they're, out they're like they're rebuilding yeah yeah they're building a relationship and i'm just like wow wow maureen maureen yeah it, what look what come on Mo. what a person what <laughs> what a woman oh my, my grandma God. would call her a trollop you know but like, um, <laughs> i mean they say that she had like a lot of narcissistic behaviors and it's kind of clear based on her uh presentation that she might have she might have for sure yeah but you know i don't want to i don't want to i do let me stop lying but like i (laughs) I that's what we do (laughs) right i shouldn't penalize her or vilify her for mistakes she made especially if she was trying to make up for them and she and we'll talk later how she was encouraging him to do the right things like once like once things started happening so it wasn't like she was an awful person to him in his adulthood she was she was you, you know you know because what I mean. she i know what you mean but <laughs> we'll get there but she was she still was not she still not wasn't grade a but um so he ends up working and practicing law in florida and it's um october 2011 and he meets danielle who is a financial anal- analysis um at well they say a florida theme park but it was disney it's disney <laughs> It was Disney. Danielle Thomas, yes. Yes. Um, and so they meet each other, and he says from an interview it was love at first sight, but basically they got together. Um, well, like a, what did they meet? Let me scroll up. Hold on, sorry. Pre-gaming. That's what it was. They were um, tailgating. That's the word that most people would use at a football game. Yeah. yeah, like tailgating and a friend introduced them and like I I love that for for people when it happens you're like I think this is my person. But like your friends make sure your friends vet people when they offer you up. I was about to say I met my first husband through a friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't read? blame my friends. Is he the clean one? <laughs> is he the smart one? No, I know. I just I I'm, I'm so terrified of everybody that or dating. I'm not everybody. I'm not scared of anyone, but I'm terrified of like latching myself to someone that i asked those questions very early on how did you meet them sometimes your friends get so excited <laughs> to like see you with somebody they don't think about the somebody you're hooking up with so it, this is right. very true like, some people just want I think you to they see just you want happier you to, yeah or like i don't yeah. think it's yeah because it's about two of my exes i'm like Bleh! and i met them through friends, <laughs> <laughs> I friends. <laughs> really um yeah so they met each other i guess it was love I mean, Jackpot, right? Like, she's a woman. She meets an attorney. He's wealthy. Um, she's yeah. on the way up, too. Yes. Um, so, I guess he decides his career would flourish more in New York. So, he decides to move back to New York. And she comes with. 
Um, this is March now, 2012. She gets a job as a executive at Weight Watchers. And at this point, they're like talking about marriage. So it's getting serious. They moved into an apartment together. You know, Danielle has told her mom about like, mom is not sold immediately about Mm. this. But they do go on a Disney cruise together. Mm. And, you know, every, from all reports, this dude, Jason, turns it on, right? Is charming and sweet and polite. And is doing all the silly, goofy things that moms and rom-coms love where they're giggling over counters. Not and moms he, and rom-coms. You know what it is. It's like, oh my god, he's helping me put away the dishes. He's such a gentleman. You know, those type of things. And so they are they are all in right. to this. And even mm-hmm. like to meeting Dan, uh, no, Daniel's mom, meeting Jason's mom where it starts, they start planning a trip up, you know, to meet and to go to Greenwich. And her mama buys a dress because she wants to, you know, impress Impressive. his mom and make her kid proud of her. You know, it becomes like they are intertwining here. Like families are in quickly because it's only been less than a year. And so what ends up happening is they're supposed to come up to Connecticut. Danielle's mom is supposed to come up and visit and meet with Maureen. I don't know when my head I've been calling her Mo. And like we're not because <laughs> every Maureen I know goes by Mo. And suddenly Danielle just reaches out to mom and says, you know what? We're not going. It's not happening. And mom is disappointed, obviously, but doesn't know what's happening. But what has started to happen is that Jason has begun or began to be physically aggressive, abusive, and violent towards Danielle. And a lot of what happens, and we've talked about this in other cases before, uh, probably most prominently was our Sylvie Cachet case in the past, where... The first part of abusing someone, especially physically, is isolating them. You don't want people to see, you know, what you're doing. You don't want them to look scared around you or flinch or have they have bruises or any kind of signs of anything. And so they're not going, you know, they don't want all these people involved. I'm sure that he made excuses as to why they shouldn't be visiting his mother to make up for it. And so the first time he actually hits her. You know, this is typically when you can kind of gauge what's going to happen in these relationships because abuse is a pattern. You know, people would argue right. that someone someone can be aggressive, they can hit you one time, but nobody would market that as abuse until it's a consistent piece of what happens in your relationship and dynamic. And in Jason's previous relationships, he had very short-lived girlfriends because yeah. what would start to happen is he'd get comfortable and he, and he wasn't aiming low either. His girlfriends just weren't, I hate to say aiming low, but socially or class-wise, he wasn't aiming for, you know, people who were working class. He was aiming for a higher, quote-unquote, caliber of person. And usually what comes with that is the expectation of being treated well, right? right. They're not used, like, they're going to be like, I'm not going to put up with this, and they would bounce. And so that's what was happening is he'd go through these slew of girlfriends who the minute he became physically aggressive would either demand he treated them better or leave. They would leave. Um, I'd imagine calling brothers, cousins, friends, like at least right. that's how it works in my, in my family. Like you put your hand on a woman, you're every, every male's phone is going to ring, you know? Yep. And his brother is coming. Someone's coming knocking, right? Like, or coming to your job to let you know, like you should probably make sure you go right to your car after work type vibe. Right. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a protective layer there. But the difference between, I mean, hell, even, there was even one point where, like, I read a story where his friend put his foot up, his feet up on their coffee table, and he almost, like, ripped his head off. 
like right. his reaction and his re and his response to stressors is phenomenal to me like it's 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 wild but i also want to kind of pull over and, and ask you d this question because i was listening and reading through all these these stories about what was happening how does somebody who is diagnosed with ied somebody who has a hard time managing their emotions and all this stuff how does this person go through one of the most an ivy league school which is one of the most academically rigorous places where everything is competitive and everything is stressful. And there are people there looking to undermine you and humiliate you and emasculate all the, all the bad words that sound big right. and scary. Especially right? with his background, they, he would have been a target. Aren't you a scholarship kid? How did you get here? What yeah, did you exactly. like? All the things they would say about you because these places can be ruthless sometimes, especially if you're looking to go into law school. And then to go and like, again, it's just a, it is college in general is hard. I could not imagine college at an Ivy League university. Then to mention going on to law school, which is incredibly stressful, like, and have all those stressors where there's no major blowups, um, right? Like, to be this overwhelmed, because I've right. cried during college, <laughs> like, <laughs> staying up all night. And so I can imagine the stress that he'd been under. And furthermore, to be an attorney. Now, let me tell you, with my job comes a lot of times that I have to be in court and when you're being you know cross-examined and questioned you are under a lot of scrutiny these attorneys are not nice you are under attack um having to do that i don't know if he had to do that so often with these corporate things but you have to at least do mock trials and stuff like that when you're in school or like you know getting ready right you you don't just you know go in there and it's just like whatever right. You know, so I have no idea how he would be able to face the pressure of a courtroom. And some of the judges are not nice. And you know what I'm saying? Like, they're just, you don't know yeah. what you're going to get in court. Like, I, I, I do a lot of court cases. You don't know what you're going to get in court. And to be able to keep your cool. But for some reason, with the women in your life, even your friends, so I can't say it's necessarily only women, you just fly off the handle. I, I couldn't understand that in his his story either like exactly. i was having a hard time especially with the disorder that they're claiming he's having like you don't get to pick and choose right you don't, like, you don't I, pick and it choose. would just happen yeah like yeah and if he can control it that lets me know that whatever treatment and therapy he was in would be working right like he's figured out right. like how to identify maladaptive behaviors and maladaptive thinking and disordered thinking and all these other words that come with like reading counseling books and figured it all out <laughs> You get what I'm saying? Like, he's understood, like, okay, these are my stressors, these are my triggers. When this happens, I need to remove myself. I need to do all these things. You can't remove yourself from the stress of a Columbia University education because you have right. to be there right. the whole time. You're taking five classes or more. It's liberal right. arts, but I get it. But, like, still, you know, right. so it's just, it's always just interesting to me that these two things occupied the same space. Right. And I always thought it was a power thing. It had to be wherever he felt the most powerful is where that would show up, which makes me think it's not just IED. Like, that's not right. what that right. is. But right. again, we can talk about how, you know, during the cases or during the trial, like that was the thing that we kept, th that kept getting thrown for up for him was that he's just dealing with the trauma of his, his childhood. I'm like, this man is 35. <laughs> and nothing's right. happened like this since then. Like, let's be realistic. But anyway, getting back to the point with Danielle and him in this first instance, like they were in an, they were in an argument and he slaps her in the face and he quickly walks off because he says he feels bad. He feels guilty. 
And what ends up happening is Danielle, like, he blames her for, like, you know, and we see this a lot in relationships. Why did you make me do this? Right? Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do this to you, but you pushed me to that point. Right? right. You're, it's, this is your fault. I'm blaming you. And she stays. And we understand that a lot of times abusers take people staying and trying to apologize as permission to continue behavior, even indirectly, right? We don't right. make them blame on the show, but people perceive things differently than what they actually are, especially if he's not well. And then right. as we kind of move forward, again, these things are, these things are happening where friends are being aware of what, like, of what's going on. It's not something. And again, as we get further into the details of what leads up to the murder, it's not uncommon for Danielle to confide in his friends. Right. And she's not afraid to or embarrassed or, or worried about telling his friends things because they know they've seen the behavior. Again, he tried to attack a friend who put his feet up. Like they're not, they're not unaware of who he is and how he is. And so in May of 2012, their next door neighbors call 911 because they could hear fighting going on in Jason and Danielle's apartment. And they said that there's a woman who is screaming. She is howling at the top of her lungs. And she was trying to get out. Um, and he was not letting her out. Right. Yeah, so when like she finally does get past Jason, she gets out of the apartment and she's crawling in the hallway and he catches up with her and drags her back in. And she is clearly left with bruises. Again, people can see this. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to pull over again, because we're, what did you do? Like, if you see that someone is being mistreated, like, we can't glory in people's suffering. Like, we can't be the people who are like, well, it's not me. Or if I do this, it messes up my, you know, my free get into this restaurant or this bar. You know, he's helped me get this job. So I feel obligated. We need to make sure that we're not appealing. We're appealing to our higher selves when these things happen, because it's uncomfortable and it is scary to tell people like, yo, this is not all right. Like I'm calling the cops or like, I'll, I'll two piece you myself, whatever it is. It is hard to do that. But right. like, as people who are close to the situation, her parents and family are not. Cause remember they are in the South. Right. And so she is isolated on her own. And what really breaks my heart is as we're talking about this, is that about two weeks before, you know, he ends up taking Danielle's life. Like she goes to the police station. And has been, she's been attacked and she decides, like, I need help. Right. Like, she's had enough. Like, you know, my grandma said, when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you're going to get up and do something. Right. Danielle was sick and tired of being beaten up on. She knows she deserves better than this. And she goes to the police and he calls her phone while she's at the police station. This was disgusting. Right. And the calls, like, we didn't, we're not going to copy and paste them into the, into the recording, but we will, I'll provide links to the, to them in the show notes. But she puts it on speaker so that the police officers that she's reporting to can hear this. And he makes claims that this is being something like war. He says he's going to hunt her down in the streets like she's a dog, like Mm -hmm. all, like just threatening her and like calling her everything but a child of God. And so he gets arrested and he gets charged with assault and, and aggravated harassment, right? And is granted an order of protection. So now, order of protection is granted. Like, we he know actually, what's happened. Yeah, but, actually, yeah. go ahead. I mean, he actually gets arrested as well. Yeah. Um, uh, he gets released without bail. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what was telling about that first argument, 
you know, in that first interaction, you know, here's the pattern again. And again, we're not victim blaming, but she refuses to press charges. Yeah. That is so, so common when it comes to abusive relationships. Like there's, there's a lot of levels of fear in abuse. And one of those fears is like, if I do this, what will he do to me? If I do this, can I, will they let me live? You know, not just live physically, but like, we know that abusers are a lot of times cowards and they will continue to try to attack and scare and frighten people by, you know, stalking them, destroying their property, showing up at their jobs, excuse me, like a relational aggression, which is like ruining their reputation and things like they will not let people just live well. And so yeah. there's a fear of like, what happens if I get out of here or try to get out of here and, wait, and like, and- will it escalate? I mean, there was that, but she also told the officer that she loved him. And yeah, if he was going to ask thing. for help, yeah, if he was going to ask for help, she was going to help him. And the officer warned her and told her, like, you know, please use, you know, your God-given sense and don't go back. Yeah. And what ends up happening is what the officer feared. And to be, right. and to be honest, the police here drop a ball. Yeah, right. there needs to be, all. you know, there needs to be follow up. And because, again, a two week span goes by mm-hmm. where this order of protection is in and no one is coming to check in. Like, and I don't know how it works in uh, in, in New York. I went looking for it, but it's mm-hmm. very vague language. Like all laws are. They're very legalese. And I'm not that smart. That's why I didn't get a law degree like I wanted to. <laughs> um, but in Connecticut and like in a lot of municipalities, like if you get an order of protection, like they, a cop will pop up to your house, will phone, will call, show up to your job, you know, like just to make sure that space is being given, you know, just to make sure it's being, you know, adhered to. But mm-hmm. on June 23rd of 2012, Jason and Danielle go out to a party for one of Jason's friends. Again, like they, like they have an enmeshed uh, life where she is celebrating or out with his friends. They have, they have those relationships where she's very much a part of the family, quote unquote. Right. Right. And, you know, they apparently they were in the bar for a while. They're throwing them back. It's a celebration. And inevitably they get into an argument. Right. And in this argument, Jason threatens like one of the one of the most precious things to Danielle, which is her little dog. Yeah. Right. And we all know we've all had pets. Well, we all have. But a lot of us have had pets and we know our relationship with our pets, Um, that it is a very unique one. It is a very special one. And my cat, like I have a cat, you know, who's doing whatever she's doing right now. But I'd fight you behind my kitty, right? Like I'd box you straight up. Like if someone tried to. <laughs> and so she is concerned about her dog. She's, he's obviously also threatened her. And it's said that she is clearly distraught, right? She's crying. She's frustrated, red in the face. Right. And he leaves the bar and leaves her there alone. Yeah. With his friends. And. She goes, like, I'm afraid, I'm scared. She talks to his friend, and he's like, do you have anywhere else you can go? Maybe you stay up in a hotel. And she had gotten into the habit in the last months of leaving and staying in hotels overnight to separate herself from him when he was having these outbursts. So it wasn't, again, it wasn't uncommon for her to talk to his friends about what was happening. It wasn't uncommon for them to realize, like, well, where's Danielle? Well, she didn't come home last night. Or, like, this is not something that they were unaware of. There is probably so, like more incidents that we don't know of too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And 
So she can she resolves to go to a hotel like she has, and then obviously says, "I have to go get my dog." Right. Like I have to go get my dog because she knows that he's capable of hurting her. Right. And, and so, I and this time too, um, one of the friends also gives her her phone number. Mm-hmm. Um, just in case, just like if you need help, let me know. Here is my number. One of the things that triggered Jason in a lot of their fights is that he often thought that she was being unfaithful. So yes. that was another thing that, you know, always triggered him. Most of their fights were about that. Like she, he, he claims that <laughs> from his interview and I laugh because, uh, you know, you don't get the other side of the, you know, story because you killed the other person. But your right. side of the story is that this person is a consistent liar. And you kept catching them in lies, including talking to their ex. There was no proof of that ever no. happening. There were, you know, when investigators were involved, none of it. So this probably was all in this man's head. But one of the things he would do is check, and like most abusers do, is check all her stuff, check her phones. He had access social to all media. of her stuff, his social media, and he was checking all her stuff, which is abuser 101. Like, you have somebody who's doing this, like, Please protect yourself because it's just the sign of like the beginnings of abuse. But yeah, um, so yeah, she wanted to get her dog. Yeah, and I and just to kind of again piggyback, it's one of the things I tell my students. One of the things I tell my kid. I, you know, I'm raising a I'm raising a 16 year old girl on my own. You know, pray for me. But is that if you're trying to date someone and you feel more like you feel like you're more of a parent than a partner. You know, then it's time to go. If you feel like they're being more of a police officer than a partner, then you need to go. Like you, like you gotta figure, like once you feel that, once you feel that you're being monitored or surveilled or supervised, that is not their job as a partner. Nope. It says a lot more about their own sense of security and self esteem than it does for your relationship and how well you treat them. And with a lot of men like this, and we, again, we talk about, I think his name was Nick, Sylvie Cachet's boyfriend who who ends up ending her life is that there is an expectation right with, with the, when they go through life that i should have and i should be and if there's anything that says that i'm not up to that par it is devastating for their for their ego right if someone says i'm gonna leave you she's an executive at weight watchers right she was doing well in her own she was she was well liked her his friends liked her clearly enough you know, right. to to try to, to help her. even yeah. to the, in the ways that they did, right? Yeah. And so if someone like that, someone who has family that loves them, which, again, he didn't have growing up, who had supportive people around her who wanted to see her do well, if that person says, I no longer want to be with you, what he was probably interpreting it as isn't just, I'm not lovable, it's that I'm not good enough. And I need to prove people wrong. It's like every time when I read that essay, I'm like, mm, that's going to live in, that's going to stay there forever. Like, that's yeah. one of those things where if that's what your, your, your base is, is proving other people wrong and not proving that you're good enough for yourself. And so, mm, anyway, we don't have to stay here. So she leaves the bar and at 2.15, she walks into their apartment and about 15 minutes ish. Later, she'd be calling 911. Didn't take very long for her to get in the door and for things to go wrong. So when she goes in and she addresses Jason, he grabs her phone and sees the number that he does not recognize. 
right? And things begin to escalate. The number long to the friend that had just been at the party. It's not, it's not an ex-boyfriend. It's not yeah. uh, it's actually a potential. It's yeah, it's not a potential suitor. Like, and like most of us don't know our friends' numbers by heart. I know my best friend's number because he's my emergency contact. I've written it enough times that I remember it. Not because I'm just that good, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> Like, most of us have our name, our friends' names. We don't know what their actual numbers are. But he's also not all there. Like, we know that he is rage-filled and jealous right. and all these things. You're not going to really and, take the time to examine when you're pissed. Exactly. And he starts attacking her, accusing him of lying, of cheating, of trying to leave. And she is able to type 911 into her phone and hit send. And there's another call, link it. Again, we're not going to patch it into the episode, where you can hear her begging for help hear her begging like stop please no this hurts and the police don't respond to that call nope they didn't respond the first time either which is something i wanted to mention right the may attack they did not respond to that one either not at all mm-hmm. and so at three twenty, danielle's phone places a call to her friend who's still at the bar right so that's a voicemail. And in the voicemail, you can hear him laughing at her because she's beaten on the floor. And she's trying, she's still at this point, still trying to, to de-escalate the civil situation. Still trying to say, you know, like, no, like, you don't understand. It's okay. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. And you can hear him. And this is this is where I wanted to stop and talk about this, too. Where, you know, in the trial parts of this, where... They're trying to say that he is so clearly not well and he's so, he shouldn't be held responsible for the things that he did. He gives her an ultimatum. He says, I'm going to give you five seconds. If you don't answer, you know, if you don't answer right, you know, I'm going to let you up. And if you don't answer right, I'm going to kill you. You're going to die. And he says, you know, why did you call this number? And she says, I'm not sure. I don't know. And he begins to beat her to death. Right. To strangle her, stomps her, and when they're when they're looking at her body, you know, once they find the scene and she's at the ME, she's got broken rib cages and broken vertebrae. Like she was being stomped. This was not a, and it's an awful way to go. This is not some. I accidentally hit her because I swung up through a statue. He intentionally right. brutalized this woman. And what I was talking about as far as like state of mind is like. We can we can say that this is irrational thinking, right? Right. But what he does show, and again, this is just me in my counseling books here, is reasoning. Right. Right. He says it's not irrational at all. Like we know it doesn't make sense. But what he says is, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to grant you this grace if you grant me the truth. Like that he is reasoning within himself and even though it's irrationally reasoning with her. To say these are things. So, like, there is thought. I don't think this is just I'm blackout rage filled. He is right. speaking coherent sentences. Right. He is, like, clearly reasoning what, like, it's, like, this is not somebody who had not thought about doing this before. Right. <laughs> like, I don't even fully believe that at that point he didn't know whose number that was. I think he might have been pissed that she had the number to call his friends if something happened. And that's why he was asking, what were you going to do with this number? Because why would he ask that? If you're assuming that it's, like, another guy, you know what's going to happen right. with the number, right? Mm-hmm. So why are you asking her to tell you what you're going to do or what the intention was with the number? Exactly. So. Maybe it was, like, a, I think it's, like, a, 
sense of betrayal, like in his little, because a lot of times, like with especially mm-hmm. with abusive relationships, there's a well, not between him and her, but like that friend, right? right? Where a lot of times with abusers, there is this veil that they put on where there's exactly. a persona that they have where this friend might not have been aware, right. you know, of what was happening. And this is a new thing to them. They're just learning this information now, which might be why they were more willing to be like, if you need something, please call me. What? Like, you know, and so he might be thinking like, OK, if this gets out, my world is shattered. How dare you do that? How dare you, you know, poke a hole in my or let people peek behind this curtain on some Wizard of Oz type stuff, you know? And when in his story about what happened, he blacked out, right? right? Again, suddenly, here we go again, blacking out. And it says he woke up to find her on the floor and he checks her pulse. Doesn't call 911, which is most people's reaction to, I don't have this skill set. Right. Like, I'm not like, most people aren't CPR trained and certified and first aid, you know. The first thing right. you do is call a professional. I'm going to call nine one one, and he puts her in the bathtub to quote unquote revive her. He does say that he had you know he had gotten he had been a little high when he got up. He had, you know waked and baked or whatever the the terminology is. I'm not hip, you know anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but like what he ends up doing though, what what the truth of it is is that he's like, he puts her in the bathtub to try to help preserve whatever is happening and trying to revive her and keep her alive for when emergency services does eventually come that he doesn't call, right? But what ends up happening is that he's actually seen on surveillance video at a local Rite Aid shopping for cleaning supplies and ice. Yep. So if you woke up to discover your bloodied, bludgeoned girlfriend, broken girlfriend on the Wouldn't floor... Wouldn't you be horrified and screaming? Exactly, which is why 911 would be called. Right. But not, oh, I'm trying to revive her. That's not the first thing you do. You might grab her, her head and cradle somebody. If you, you know, there were those responses, but you need to get them help. You realize this is not a heart attack. This is an asthma attack. This isn't a fall. This is somebody has attacked them. Right. And so he's seen on video at this Rite Aid buying cleaning supplies. And what all, what any normal person would do is say that they're trying to clean up the crime scene. They're trying to get, get this cleaned up enough that, there's no DNA linked to them, that there's no presence, that people don't think that they were there. So that way you can get away long enough or buy enough time that you can get away, right? And it goes further, is that he actually, or in like, like uh, the prosecutor will say that he was sending out text messages from her phone right. to her friends and his friends. Like, hey, you know, things are good. Things are fine. I just took my dog for a walk. though. Like clearly buying himself time. And why else, though, like, and this is the thing that makes people concerned and they'll say that he's not all there, is that he did try to preserve her body. Like, he put her on ice. And what he did was he created, there's flowers in the bathroom that he's like, it's almost, if you ask me, very funeral-esque or shrine-esque. Right. Right, where he puts her on ice and, but not to preserve her body so but to prevent her from decomposing quickly let's be realistic and there's an electric fan on the tank of the tub or i'm sorry the the uh toilet blowing air out of an open window right so what that tells me is that you don't want her neighbors to discover her by either smell smelling you know right or fluids if they leak there's a drain you know those type of things but in her arms cradled is a note 
right? One of there's two notes saying hey, I love you so much, Danielle, and another one says it was an accident. It was an accident. I'm sorry. Clearly admitting guilt, but what also wasn't too far away, which is to me a big f u to her and the police and her loved ones, is that order of protection. Yep, the restraining order. Like, you can't tell me that this man didn't have some sort of diabolical or or vengeful piece of this that right. suddenly I just blacked out and I don't know and I'm just so mentally ill, I can't. Like, right. this man didn't intensely did what he did and was trying to get away. And I think he ends up he ends up in Chicago. Like, he he's seen withdrawing money at ATM in Washington, D.C. Like, he is creating space and he sends his mother an email. He writes, Dear Mom, I sincerely apologize for missing our dinner this evening. Additionally, I no longer have access to my phone. The context is that they had reservations. He, Danielle, and his mother had reservations at, a, at Bobby Vance Park Avenue on the day after Danielle is killed. Or the day after the day after. Right. So he says, In fact, I am or will be in a lot of trouble, and as a result, I am currently on the run. I've worked hard to get my life in order, but my past, and he puts in parentheses, unresolved psychological and emotional issues has come back to haunt me. I'll make this brief and to the point. There was an accident on Saturday night. Danny and I got into an argument at an event a friend of mine was hosting. I went home drunk and she stayed out. When Danny got home, she woke me up from my drunken coma and the fight continued. It got physical, but I don't remember anything. I completely blacked out. I woke up to the next morning. I woke up the next morning to find her unconscious and not breathing. I panicked and fled the city. I need your help. I am begging you to please retain an attorney for me as soon as possible. I can't use the internet long as I'm sure law enforcement can trace the IP address, so I will wrap up for now. I will follow up with you tomorrow once I have the opportunity to purchase a disposable prepaid phone. I haven't stopped crying or started eating. I was going to propose to Danny, frowny face. I have thought about taking my life many times and still may come to that. Know that I love you dearly and I am so sorry for all the trouble that I have caused. Signed, your firstborn. Now, what does that sound like? If you're somebody, if you're a parent, and or you're a person who's trying to get, gather some sort of sympathy or compassion, does that not sound like that? Uh, I might end my life. Like, I, I don't remember anything. I'm crying. I haven't eaten. It also gives me, like, the reason why I'm like this is because of you and you owe me. So exactly. please help me because you fucked me up. That you did this, and then she he appeals to whatever maternal instinct she might have left, right. and he's like, signs that you're firstborn. You're firstborn. Not sign Jason or love you, Jason. Like and he, like yeah, and also lies to mom. Like I panicked and fled the city. No, you didn't. Right. You set up a crime scene. Right. <laughs> and like and then you fled the city. Right. And his mom responded, you know. I will get you a lawyer. You have to turn yourself in. That's all she said. That's all she wrote. Yep. Which, again... Oh, Maureen. Was she trying hard? Who knows? What this episode should be called? Oh, Maureen. (laughs) Fucking misguided. Maureen. Maureen. And, you know, and I... we, We talk about Maureen a lot because, again, she... She was, at this point, the CFO, the chief financial officer of Scholastic Books. It's not like she didn't have access or wasn't, didn't have the means to get her son some help if she wanted to. She was making over a million dollars a year, right? Living in a $3.5 million house in Greenwich, Connecticut, you know, living the life of, 
you know, wealth and richness and all the fun stuff that comes with not having to stress about financial means while also getting over the fact that the reason she's there is because she didn't have to stress over like parenting and now came back in when she thought her child was self-sufficient and was successful and could do all those things and is now back to like do i want to have to deal with all of this right i mean she did get him an attorney she did which which is what the least you could do i guess quote unquote yeah um but the way that it worked just because you know, like the the trial was a very very, I wouldn't say long, but tedious one, yes. where a lot of psychiatrists and counselors and therapists and psychologists and Emmys and forensic they have psychologists, like a, a psychiatrist that worked on like Law and Order or something. Like, yeah, one of the yeah the like, forensic psychologists. Yeah, they went is, uh, all out. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a consultant for SVU, and. They were trying to say that he should not be held responsible, so instead of imprisonment, he should be institutionalized and treated. But the problem with that is that, like, people hope, like, for rehabilitation, and then they're allowed to leave. That's usually the way that it works. But I would not trust, at least, for for Jason to be free. So what ends up... (laughs) And, obviously, a jury agreed, a judge agreed. Um, And so... In 2014, he was convicted of first-degree murder for killing Danielle Thomas and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. So as he's, still he alive. he's still alive and kicking it um, in jail. There is an HBO special where they interview him on this lady goes to where he's incarcerated and she interviews him if you want to hear that bullshit. And I mean that. <laughs> really, like, I don't know, man. And you know, he has the... um. Hmm. He has that murderer stare, almost dead eyes. Like there's nothing there. Like when you watch this interview, you're like, "Whoa!" Like it's it's very jarring if you look into his eyes. It's like there's yeah. nothing there. And like he, like I know as a child and growing up, like the word that a lot of people used to describe him was intense. And like he is a very, and it's not even a in the manner that he speaks. Or the way that he moves, it's in his demeanor. Like, mm-hmm. it, there's an air, even through a television screen, that comes mm-hmm. off of him that says, like, something, Something's something, is, there's a lot brewing underneath there. That, like, yeah. there's a lot happening behind your eyes, whether or not you're showing it. And, mm-hmm. like, you're looking for something or looking or looking for something to, like, turn a, turn a, a key. I don't know. But it is a... I am sorry for Danielle Thomas's loved ones. I'm sorry for the people connected to Jason Bond who had to really try to navigate life with him and around him. I'm mm-hmm. sorry for the women that came before Danielle too, who were hurt, harmed. Experienced him, yeah. Yeah. And it, and what I would, would like, like to say to everybody listening is that when we don't do things the right way, so i.e. like foster care, treatment, like, if everybody involved isn't all the way in, it's really hard for, for people to grow and heal in the ways that they need to. And so I don't want this to be, because uh, what, what, like I went on Reddit, as you're not supposed to do. And like just a lot of the, the narratives always end up being like, well, of course, like this, he didn't get well because, you know, he was just in foster care for the last, but like that's not what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, like 
my life, my childhood was wild too. And with the proper help and the proper support systems, I'm all right. Like, right. <laughs> like I turned out okay. Like, am I, like, I have the skill sets and the means and the supports I built around me on purpose intentionally to be able to navigate life so it doesn't beat the hell out of me. And there are tons of kids that just need that too. And right. had his mom engaged, had he, as people found the things that he needed to and, and found the different types of treatments and mixed and matched and did what they had to do, I believe that he could have been you know, put on a course correction. And so, like, it's just, there's a yeah, lot of things definitely. that went right and a lot of things that went wrong. I mean, he but, had the mind to do so much. Like, he, he could have been really big. He probably yeah, could have been, like, you know, a judge on whatever, um, whatever, government, whatever thing he Right. <laughs> My brain court. is He was right. trying to there be a Supreme is. Court justice, yeah. He co- yeah, there it is. He, he could have been a Supreme Court justice if he, like, tried, like, if he maybe had the right, you know, right people in his life that would have made a difference so he had one but it was like it definitely was too little too late i really feel like i think the doctor tried but it was i think at that point too little too late but also like it's one of those things where we try to manufacture emotional success you know like we're gonna put him on a path so that on paper it looks great and and it happens a lot with kids in foster care where we're going to teach you the right words to say. We're going to teach you how to be good communicators. We're going to send you to college. But, and so on, on like at face value, it looks great. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we're helping to heal the wounds that are still there. Right. That emotional work is done. Right. Like we can't just do the outside stuff. We set them up so that they can have physical measurable, like success and financial security. That's important to their mental well being, But, also, le- learning to kind of create those bonds and all those things is going to be is, is super important, too. So, that's it for Jason Bond. Yes, um, Jason. It's good to be back. Yes. Be back. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll be back soon with another episode. Um, yeah. 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 It's going to um, be fun. I don't know, if you're still like here, I'm it. glad you're still with us. Yeah. Thank you for all the people who are ride or die, who check in every now and then. And like, well, you guys are still around? Yeah, we're still around. <laughs> We're here. Like y'all still here? Like yeah, or you know, or the people who are listening for the first time. Every so often, we get those episodes. Like, hey, I just discovered your podcast, and I feel always feel bad because they don't know what's coming. You know, <laughs> once they get to <laughs> once they get to the end, they're like, wait a minute, wait what? <laughs> wait, this and, was like last recorded in twenty twenty two. What happened? And so, like, I speaking as a, just a real person living real life and. If you this is your first time listening to us, then you would know that this is how we handle ourselves and this is how we handle the show. This is a labor of love, and I do love doing it. And life has gotten in the way a lot in the last three to four years for all of us. And so, like, I'm in a very, very a much better spot than I was seven to eight months ago when we were really supposed to dive, dig, and dig deep back into this. I'm happier. I'm healthier. I'm just more joyful and. Things are working the ways that they should, and I know that for D, like a lot of those things are falling into place too. And right. so, this is something. This is one of those things that brought us joy, and we want to be back here doing this with all y'all because we know it did the same for you. So, I'm making a commitment to make 2024 a better one for everybody, at least as mm-hmm. far as it comes to WD, you know, UYD, whatever the acronym. <laughs> and um, I'm here for the ride. So, like, whatever Charnel needs, I'm here to support him. When we're ready to go, I'm ready to go. That's how it is. I'm here. Game. Because the kids gang, would gang. say, gang, gang. 
How can they find you on the internet if they were looking for I you? I knew you were going to ask me this, and I haven't said it in such a long time, so I had to pull up my social media. I was going to say, were you really like, preparing in advance? Like, just uh, Hell <laughs> fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I hate this part so much. So you can find me on the Instagram. Instagram. Uh, I guess you could find me on X, because now we call it X. Fucking bullshit. <laughs> At uh, D underscore Iza underscore that's d-e-e underscore and then i-s-a underscore my page is private so you're gonna just have to like request, request. and i'll let you in my where can saying. they find you <laughs> <laughs> i just made my page private on instagram it wasn't but where can they find school. you <laughs> right oh god that's i mean i'm um, I, I work well i'm a social worker but i also yeah. don't use my name anywhere so yeah, I do. I have a very unique name, and I've never had a nickname. So, but they could find me at Charnel B. It's C H A R N E I L B. Um, I almost said <laughs> my email. Um, on Instagram, it's private. But if you request me, and I know that you're not one of my students, it's fine. Um, because my students <laughs> discovered the podcast, and they're like, "I didn't know that you." And I'm like, "Shut up! Like, go listen or whatever you're gonna do. But like, move, move along, move around." Um, but I will, I will add you. Same thing with Twitter. Like I, my, it's at Charnel B. Um, it's just fun stuff. Twitter. It's called X now. Whatever it is. But like, I do, I love all of you with a very, very special love. Thank you for being such a part of this journey. It's going to be fun going forward. Um, as we always say, you know, keep your hands clean. And if you need help, go talk to someone. It's the secrets that will make you sick. So until next time, y'all be good and take care of yourselves. Adios.